Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. So let's clap as loud as we can and let's welcome everyone else at all of our other campuses. What's up, Montgomeryville and Limerick, Royersford, Plymouth Meeting. You're joining us online, catching up later on during the week, watching on a friend's page. We're glad that you're with us. Um, and I know when, when I preach, uh, there's, people, there's people from all walks of life. There's people that are in church often, and you're very comfortable here. And there's people that are not in church often. And this is a very weird environment for you to be in, and uh, even sometimes overwhelming. And so one of our prayers every week is, God, uh, make this a comfortable place for people who usually feel uncomfortable at church. And so uh, I hope that from the moment you got here, uh, if this is your first time, second time, you're not a typical church person, that you feel comfortable from, from the moment that you, you walked through one of our doors, pulled on one of our parking lots. Uh, we've been praying for you all week. No, we don't know your name. God didn't tell us who you were. But I know that God knows you. I know that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. I know that he knew you were going to sit here on this Sunday and be at this campus that you're at, wherever you're at, and hear this message. And I believe if you would ask him to speak to you, uh, that he would do that uh, in a very real way today. And so when we open up the word, I expect, just so you know, I don't carry the weight. I carry the weight of wanting to not do God disservice, but I don't carry the weight of changing people's lives. I believe that the spirit of the Lord shows up. Uh, the Bible says when we, when we lift the name of Jesus, which is what we just did through worship, that he begins to draw people to himself. So maybe some of you are already feeling uh, that knock or that something going on in your life. That's the spirit of the Lord, and he's moving right now, and he wants to do something incredible in your life. And so today we get to start a brand new sermon series uh, called Hunting History. And so here's the thing that I believe about, about uh, church and, and God. I believe God wants to move powerfully in our lives, right? I don't think, I think a lot of people have what I would call a head knowledge of God. They learn the stories, you know the creeds, you, you've had some kind of experience with religion, uh, but I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of it. I don't want to come to church, sit down after four songs, leave, you know, come twice a month, you know, have a very apathetic understanding of God and his plan and his mission and kind of just go through the motions. I don't want any part of that. And I've been telling you for a couple of weeks, if that is what your expectations are of this, do something different. This is the dumbest club for you to be involved in. Find a different activity. Find another hobby. Uh, I'm into life change. I want God to move unquestionably and powerfully in our church services. I want people's lives to be changed. I want addi addicts, I want them to be freed from addiction from one. They don't even have to go through 12 steps. That stuff can be good, but they can come one step. They take one step in the presence of God. And the Bible says that one moment with him is better than a thousand elsewhere. I want this place to be full of life. I want this place to be full of hope. I want God to do things that nobody else in this world can discredit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want people to say, you're religious, that's great. I want them to say, what the heck has happened to you? And you be able to say, I had an experience with the one true living God, the one that created me, molded me, made me, has a purpose and plan for my life. And so that's the point of this. We're starting a new decade as a church, our second decade. And I believe that we should seek the power of God. But here's the thing about it. I don't think it's a given. I, I, I don't think that God automatically does these things in our lives. I think that, there, that there's, 
that there's people that see God move and there's people that don't. And I don't think it's, it's a given. In fact, I read one of my favorite verses is the verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 20. And the verse says, God's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. It's a great verse. I love to say it. You'll hear me say it from time to time. Uh, I'll say something like that, ever ask, dream, or imagine. It's a great bumper sticker. It's great for a mug. It's great for a t-shirt. You probably saw it in your grandma's house if you have a religious grandma. At some point, you've heard that God is able to do immeasurably more. It's actually part of a prayer. And when somebody prays, this is Paul writing to one of his churches in Ephesus. When somebody prays, what he's saying is, this isn't necessarily going to happen. It's something that I hope it happens. This is not something every church experiences or every person experiences. This is an answer to prayer. This is an answer to something you go after. But this is what he says in Ephesians 3 before that verse, verse number 16. He says, I pray that our glorious riches may, in his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. I want you to notice how many times he says power. With power through his spirit in your inner being being. So he teaches us the power that God wants to do through us, it starts, it starts in us, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may, may come to com- comprehend the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and, and how high that the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of God, the measure of the fullness of God. In other words, not everybody's going to get there. Not everybody's going to experience that. My prayer for you is that you get to the point where you experience the fullness, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of the miraculous. Do you still believe God can do miracles? If you don't, you're at the, like, there's some churches that teach, like, you know, God did a lot of things, then the Bible was complete, and now the perfection's here, and we're just kind of buying time till God gets back. Garbage. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That we're not addicted to the miraculous because on the other side, you have what I would call spiritual addicts, and they just want experience after experience after experience. I want both. I want God to move both inside of people's lives, and I want him to move in a practical, physical way in people's lives. I want to see physical healings. I want to see emotional healings. I want to see relational healings. I want to see the power of God in, in, my, in my life, the fullness of the power of God. And then it says, now to him is, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so there's this power that God wants for our lives. And I think most of us would say we want it. We're confused to how we go get it. And so here's what I know. It's a lot like hunting. And I figure, who better to talk to you about hunting than obviously me? <laughs> right? Like, who, who better? Look at me. Obviously, I'm mainly, right? Like, I, I hunt. And just so you know how experienced that I am, I'll show you a few hunting pictures of my, of my experiences out on the, the great frontier. Uh, a few weeks ago, I went fishing in the mountains up near, near Penn State or something like that. Here's the record-setting sunny that I caught. Uh, in a pond, you know, ice fishing. Uh, that, that's, that's amazing. Am I right? Thing's huge. Let me show you the actual size of the fish, the power of Photoshop, the actual size of the fish right there. True story, though. First fish I ever caught in my life. Somebody said, did you take it off the hook? Absolutely not. <laughs> I had gloves on. I let somebody else handle that thing, right? But I went fishing. I went fishing for the very first time. I felt, I felt incredibly manly. And then somebody on the trip went hunting, right? And uh, they killed a deer. And they called back to their wife and they said, we, we killed a deer. And I said, I said to, his name is Troy. I said, Troy, can you ask Sarah, can you ask Troy, can me and my boys please come out into the forest? Because he killed it, but then he had to go. I, I started realizing this, the deer just doesn't drop, right? It doesn't just show up. 
And then it doesn't just drop when you kill it. It, it, it was bow season, so it, it runs, right? Like, and so he, he calls back. He's like, can you come out and help me track it? And then we're going we're gonna to gut it. And then we're going to drag it. And then we're going to hang it to let it dry out. And then we're going to butcher it. And then we're going to eat like kings and queens, right? Like all these things were going to happen. And I said, can you ask him, please, 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 can I come out in the forest with my boys? And can we watch? I don't want to do it. Let's be honest. I want that manliness to kind of seep off of him onto me. I don't want to touch it. So we sat, we walked through the woods. You know, I was getting prickers on me and stuff like that. I'm like, this is not, what are we doing out here, right? Like, and, and we walked through the woods. We get to the deer, right? A blood trail. He's like, look at the blood trail. I'm like, and my, my, me and my boys are walking. And I'm like, yeah, me, we're men. We're men's men, right? And we sat on a log and we watched him take the knife. And, you know, I don't know if you have a dad or if you hunt. And I don't want to be like, like, maybe girl son, I guess, and so all that stuff happens. You just yeah, take it up and stick your hand and pull out the, the guts and just drop it right there. And, and he looked over. He's like, is this fun? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then he let me do something really cool. When they were dragging it out, I was like, can I, can I drag the deer out with you? And then can I tell everybody I killed the deer? <laughs> he said, absolutely not, but you can drag it out for me if you want. So here's a picture of me and Troy. Look at this face right here. Can you bring that picture up for me? Look at that. I am... <laughs> I'm dying, actually, in that picture. I'm like, how much longer do we got to drag this carcass of thing? And can I tell people it's my deer? And so I got to experience this, this, this hunting, and I realized that a lot goes into it. You see, what, what, here's why I don't hunt. Can I just tell you why I don't hunt? Because a giant and Wegmans and Aldi's, you know, in the butcher box or anything else you can get online. Why don't I hunt? Because I don't need to. I can walk into a grocery store with my cart. Its temperature is, is, you know, is nice. I can walk to the back where the butcher's at, and I can say, I'll take that. And it gets in my cart, and I go home, and I put it on my grill, and I eat. I don't need to go out and, and hunt anymore, so I don't do it. And here's what I realized. A lot of us want that type of relationship with, with God. We want God to bring the meat to us. We want, the, we want the spouse. Like some of you are like, I just want a spouse, and I've been praying for it, and I'm waiting for it to just pass by me, and, and I've been praying. Like, wh why don't I hunt? Truthfully, the main reason I don't hunt is because if, listen, if I could sit on my back porch and just take a gun and just wait, and deer would just walk by, I could just pluck them from there, and they would just, like, I would probably hunt. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to drag it. I don't want to gut it. I don't want to sit in a stand somewhere in the dark, in the woods, with bears. Come on now. Let me show you what I want to do. Can I show you? Troy went out at 345 in the morning, that morning. I didn't even know people got up at 345. I thought God is sleeping at 345. I think it says it somewhere in the Bible. Let me show you what I was doing at 345. Let me just show you this picture real fast. This was me in the cabin. It was warm. I had already got some coffee in my system, and I was back to sleep. And meanwhile, Troy was in a tree stand somewhere since 3.45 in the morning, covered in deer urine, I'm assuming. I don't know if that's a thing still. On a, he showed me this stand, leaning back, waiting maybe for a deer to come. By the way, he's been hunting all season and hasn't killed one yet, and he just keeps waiting. Absolutely not. And here's the thing about it. In order for you to see the power of God in your life, it looks a lot more like the process of hunting than it does the grocery store. In order for you to see the power of God in your life, it looks a lot more like the, like the patience and the waiting 
and the staking and, 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 and the taking the shot we're going to talk about and, and the tracking it through the woods after you took the shot and the gut in it and the process of dragging it and the butchering and the work that goes into the meat. So many of you want the meat, but you don't want to work. You want the husband or the wife, but you don't want to put the work in. You want the promotion. You don't want to do the work. You want God to open up the door that only he could open up. You don't want to do the work. Listen, God will do what you can't do in your life, but he will never do what you can do. That's not how he works. I know this is true because I read the Bible, and there's all sorts of examples in the Bible. My favorite one is in the book of Acts. Acts, I believe it's chapter 12, but let me make sure that I get it right so that I don't lead you astray. Acts chapter 12, this amazing thing happens where Peter, uh, one of the leaders of the church, gets captured by Herod. He's the grandson of the, the Herod that tried to kill Jesus. He has just killed a couple Christians, and a lot of people are excited about what he's just done. So he goes and gets one of the biggest dogs that he could get, Peter, bigwig in the church, and he has him in prison, and the next morning, he is going to publicly kill him in front of everybody for the applause of people. So the church starts praying. It's funny because they're praying, but they don't expect an answer. And they pray. Peter is locked up in a prison uh, between two guards. The Bible says he's chained to these guards, and then there's guards watching all the doors. There is no way out. And all of a sudden, they're praying, and through their unified prayer, by the way, that, there's something to that. When the church prays unified together, God moves. They're praying for Peter, and the Bible says an angel of the Lord shows up, wakes Peter up. Peter is in such a deep sleep, somehow he is so peace-filled that he thinks he's dreaming. And the Bible says the angel looks at him and says, hey, we're, we're leaving. But he also says this, but you have to get up. I'm not carrying you out of here. We're, we're leaving, but you're going to have to do the work of, of getting up and moving. I'm going to do what you can't. I'm going to somehow get you unchained from these guards, and I'm going to make sure these guards that are watching the doors don't know, and we're going to get you to safety. I'm going to do what you can't do, but I'm not carrying you there. You're going to have to trust me and get up. That the, 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 the plans for God in your life, they need your participation. That that's what hunting looks like. You need to, you need to participate in the hunt. Nothing just shows up on your, your door. And so today I want to talk to you really importantly because I think sometimes we go, okay, that's true, but some people are lucky. Like you have friends, you're like, they, you know, this person just showed up, their spouse just showed up, their job opportunity, it just showed up. Like every door just opens up for them and, and they're just in the right place in the right time and I'm never in the right place. And I want to argue back with you and say that's not a biblical concept. There's no such thing as luck. When you see somebody succeeding in the things of the Lord, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that you probably haven't been willing to go through. That if you want what they have, you oftentimes have to go through what they've gone through. And there's what I would call a position you need to get yourself in. You see, for me, my position was where? It was on the couch. Was I going to see a deer there? No, the only thing I saw was the back of my eyelids. And I heard a bunch of kids screaming as I was trying to sleep, right? But Troy got up at 345. I asked him why. I said, do you have a pair of night goggles? Do deer not sleep? And he explained to me, and Hunter, and Hunter, you know, speak, and did it really nicely. He wasn't like, you're an idiot, right? He was like, you got to get out there in the dark so that you don't stir things around. And you got to be there before the animals start to move. And you got to get established, and you got to get to the right height so that they can't smell you. And you got to be able to see, and you got to do all this before everything else is ready. And then you just got to wait. And I'm like, how long you got to wait? Like 20 minutes? He's like, well, I got up there about 4.15 or whatever, 3.45, 4, 4 o'clock, 4.15, whenever he got situated in his tree stand, and I killed it at about 8.30. I said, you waited? For Were you on Facebook? What do you do for four hours? You're just in position. Did you know the deer was going to come? Did you call it? 
did you see it before? Like, how did you know? He just said, I just knew if I got myself in position that the chances were likely that it would come by. But I had to make sure when it came by that I was in the right position. It's all about the position. Let me explain to you. Here's how I met my wife. You guys ready? I went to Bible college, right? Everybody in Bible college gets married in two weeks, right? It's just the way, if you've been in Bible college, you know, like I had friends, they literally were a, were a freshman and they went, they were like, they were like doing all the freshman things. In the second semester of freshman year, they were engaged by the next summer they were married. They had barely hit puberty, right? They were married. And I remember thinking, I need to get married. Stress is on. And then people started telling me, if you don't have a wife, no one's going to hire you as a pastor because you'll be weird. You can't, if you can't get a wife in four years of Bible college, something is wrong with you. This is what I started to hear. And then they said, you need to get a wife that plays the piano because no, no pastor's wife that's, that's good doesn't play the piano. She needs to be able to sing. She needs to be able to do all of these things. And like all these things, and so you start to feel this stress. And, and the truth is I say all that as a joke, but I did want to get married eventually. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to be married. And so I, I saw Leah and I started to study her. And I think I'm a big fan of that. And so you, gotta, you have to study before you, before you pounce. Like you got to... Yeah, as a young man, you need to you need to you need to calm yourself down. Like you, and so I didn't like go out there and be like, I'm gonna marry you. But I got myself in positions. And here's what I did. Uh, she didn't really know who I was. She was from Oklahoma. I was from Pennsylvania. Nobody knew who I was down there. And uh, I saw her second semester of the first second semester of the first year I was there. I saw her again second sem- first semester of the second year that I was there. And I never really talked to her, but I always noticed her. And uh, I started noticing kind of her habits, her rituals, her, not just her looks, not just, the, you know, that's not what, but her habits. And one of her habits was she checked the mail pretty similar time every day. I'm not sure if it was her class schedule or she was just a creature of habit. But everybody checked their mail in the same mail. It was just a small Bible college. And I started realizing she goes to check her mail between 12 and 2.30 every day or something like that. She goes and eats lunch at this time and she goes to the mailroom at this time. And you know what I did? I positioned myself in the mailroom. she she used to yell at me and say, you did that, and I would argue it, but as a 40-year-old, I got to come clean. (laughs) I I want to move forward in my walk with Christ, and I don't want my sin of my past to hold me back. I absolutely knew, here's the time that she wants. I wasn't stalking her. I was just upping the chances of being in the right position for her to notice me. I made, listen, there's a lot of things. I made sure my hair was done. I made sure I wasn't wearing those nasty shower flip-flops that dudes wear at college. I made sure my teeth were brushed. I made sure I had nice clothes on, and I made sure to play it cool. I didn't go over the top. I didn't put a sign up that said, you know, you're going to be my wife someday. I would just sit there in the hopes that eventually that she would notice me, and maybe we would talk, and maybe we'd get, we would get married. And 20 years later, you know what? It worked. And I'm not telling you. Some of you are like, well, that's all I got to do. I'm going to figure out where this girl's sitting, figure out what campus she goes to, sit beside her. Okay, go ahead. Like, get yourself in position. You can't decide when it's going to happen, but you can get yourself in position. This is what we call favor in Scripture. There's different words in Scripture. Uh, one word that I think people get confused with is grace, and grace is unmerited forgiveness and love from God. You don't, you don't deserve it. You receive it. Favor is different. Favor is when God moves in your life in very specific ways where other people would say, hey, how does that happen? It looks like it was lucky. It looks like it was right place at the right time. And you go, no, I've been living in the favor of the Lord. But the favor of the Lord is not chance. The favor of the Lord is all about position. And so what I want to do is I want to give you an example because I think that's important for me to show you in Scripture. And I want to take you to one of my favorite Old Testament books, the book of Ruth. And I think this book and this story proves it in the first two chapters. 
that you can position yourself for the favor of God. You can't decide how it happens. You can't decide when it happens, but you can get yourself ready so that when it comes by, you're able to take it. You're able to receive it. You're able to step into it. You have to position yourself in, in the right place. Let me give you a little background about Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman, and she is married to a, a, a man from, from Jerusalem, from Israel. The actual town is Bethlehem. Uh, her mother's, mother-in-law's name is Naomi, and her sister-in-law's name is Orpah. Not to be confused with Oprah, Orpah, but it's easy to remember it like that. Uh, and they have, they have husbands, but I'm not going to try to name their names because I don't understand how to pronounce them. And so we can just call them Bill and George and Bobby, right? And they, they, they have a pretty normal, normal, normal family life. There's no kids, though, after this point. So you can imagine Naomi and, and, and her husband, you know, when are you guys going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? All this stuff. Here's how they got here in the first place. Here's how all this went on. Uh, Naomi and, and her husband lived in Bethlehem. There was a famine. There was a shortage of food. And so they left because they were running out of supplies and went to Moab to find food and work. And when that happened, their, their sons grew up in Moab and married Moabite women. So the story tells us in the book of Ruth chapter 1, I don't have time to read it to you, but it says, you know, some bad stuff went on as this went on. It covers a lot in a very short amount of time. And it gets us caught up to one of uh, what's a really difficult situation. And the situation is Naomi, her husband dies. Really bad thing. But she still has two sons. Because at that time, you have to understand, it wasn't like, you know, if your husband died, like you were a woman, you just go back to school, get your master's, or, and just have a career. It's not how stuff worked in that culture. Like you, you, you were as successful as your husband was going to be. You were attached to him. If he died and you didn't have a husband, you were, you, you were left to beg. That, that's, that's, that's about how bad your life was. But she still has two sons. Then the Bible lets us know, gets even worse, worse somehow her two sons die. So now it's three single women, one old, two, we don't really know how old, but older, no kids, no one to take care of them. They're in a really bad situation. Naomi's not near any of her family because she's in a foreign country, and she has two Moabite daughter-in-laws that are left and nothing to do. And so she comes up with a way to fix it. She says, listen, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem where my family's at, and and, and I'm going to kind of try to pick up the pieces. I'm probably not going to get married again because I'm older. I'm not going to have any more kids because at one point, uh, Ruth and, 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 uh, and Orpah say, hey, we'll stay with you, and we'll wait till you have more kids, and we'll just marry your sons. Awkward, right? How bad does your life have to get? I get it. There's, there's, biblically, it's kind of normal at that moment. But how awkward and bad is your life to say, hey, I'm going to wait for 15 or 20 years? This is what they're saying. So she says, no, listen, I want you to go back to your people. I want you to, to go back, get husbands, have kids. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And there's all these tears. If you read Ruth chapter 1, this emotion, you can feel it. They're going to part ways. They're family. They love each other. They're highly functional. They've been put in this situation unexpectedly. Their husbands have all died. They're mourning. You know, they're going through a really bad time. And the Bible says both, both Orpah and Ruth look at Naomi and say, we're going with you. We're going with you. And then Naomi looks at him and she talks him out of it. And the Bible says that Orpah, uh, she decides to go back to, to Moab. But in Ruth chapter 1, it says that uh, Ruth says, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. If you fast forward and look at her life, a few chapters later, chapter 2, she gets to, to Bethlehem and stuff works out for her. Like if you know the story of Ruth, her life is redeemed. She finds a new husband. His name's Boaz. I mean, doesn't that just sound like a dude you want to marry? <laughs> Sounds like somebody I want to hunt with. You know what I'm saying? Like who's your boy? Boaz, right? So much cool things you could do with the name Boaz, right? 
And she gets to marry him. And I think a lot of times, like, especially young girls, they're like, I want to meet my Boaz, right? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that name, that just sounds sexy. That sounds like my soulmate. This sounds like, like, this story, if you read it, it's like a Hallmark movie. She goes home. She's in his field. He shows up. He throws her some game, right? They'll go off into the sunset. Really cool story. She's the grandmother or great-grandmother. I don't exactly know the exact details of it, but she is in the, 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 the family of the King, Dave, King David, who's also in the lineage of Jesus. And so her, her story really gets turned around here. She goes from maybe going back to Moab. We never hear from her again. She has her own book in the Bible, and we're still talking about her thousands of years later. And in one part of the Bible, in chapter 2, as she's working in this situation, right, and stuff's going on, and Boaz walks in, and Boaz interacts with her, she asks Boaz this question, and I think a lot of times we would ask God this same question. And the question, if you go to Acts chapter, or Ruth chapter 2, verse number, number 16, it says, as, as time, she bowed her face down to the ground, and she asked him the age-old question, why have I found favor with you? I think we would ask that. Why does this person's life seem to work out and this person's life seem to be easy and this person seem to have the doors open to them and God, you've used their life in a powerful way and you've, you know, you've, you've pulled things out of them that, that they didn't even know were in there. God, why does this happen for them? Why have they found favor and I've yet to find that, that favor? And we find out in Ruth chapter one what goes down. We find out why she has the favor and why, why Orpah doesn't, why, why, why there's a difference. Like some of us are like Orpah. We, we went back to our old way of life and no one's ever heard from us again. And others of us experience this Ruth moment, these Boaz moments where we go, man, God really brought this into my life and opened up this door. Man, I've seen it in my own life. Why does God give some churches buildings and other churches struggle? And why does God seem to, you know, have this flourish and other churches go through this? And, and why does God bless financially some churches and make it hard on other churches? And I, sometimes I talk to pastors and they're like, you're so lucky. I said, no, no, I found favor. They say, how do you find favor? I said, I put myself in position to get it. There, there's a difference. It's not a luck. It's not a cross your fingers, hope to die. It's not this deep prayer that you pray where you're figuring out these secrets of Scripture and you're making God do these things. You're throwing him something and he's doing it. It's favor. And I want to give you three practical ways that you can position yourself for the favor of God that we can see in the story of Ruth. I want to show you this because they're really, really important and they're really practical. How do you position yourself for favor? You should remember these. Number one, things I've experienced in my own life and I want to get better at, by the way. One, fix your faithfulness. Fix your faithfulness. Let me, let me tell you something. Number one problem in the world, especially in the church, is we are a fickle, faithless people. It's just true. How many diets were you on in 2019? If I go into your feed from 2019, how many new things did you try out? Try out oils? Try out the keto diet? Keto diet doesn't work, you know, makes you die, makes your heart blow up. Keto diet is 2020's version of the Atkins diet. He died from a heart attack. You lose weight. Okay. Why aren't you still doing it? Because I like bread. <laughs> Go back in your feet. You look like you have a balloon inside of you, right? In your clothes. You, you're deflated in, two, in the beginning of the year. You're like this. You're skinny again. You're like this. Why? Faithfulness problem. You get to where you want to go, you're like, eh. Like, it's fun being skinny, but you don't get to eat anything. I need to live a little bit. And then you live and you feel guilty and you got to go back. Think about it. 
People that you know that have been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced, or maybe they've never been married. Maybe they're just in relationship, or maybe you have a friend that goes from career to career to career. They're going to do this, and that gets hard. Then they're going to do this, and they're going to change this, and they're going to study this, and they're going to accomplish this. And I will tell you, the number one problem we all have in this world is a faithfulness problem. And I will tell you that the people who see God move in mighty ways in their life, they have this ridiculous ability to stay faithful all the time. They just keep going. They just keep showing up. And you see this in this story. What's the difference between Orpah and Ruth? The Bible says that Orpah gets talked out of it. The Bible says that, that Naomi says, it's going to be really hard. It's be really difficult. No one's going to like us. People are going to look at us. People are going to think we're, we're weird. And Naomi looks at Orpah, and Orpah says, I don't want this. I'm going back. I'm going all the way back. I'm going to go to Moab and find me a husband, right? What does Ruth do in this moment? I get that it's really difficult. I get that it's really hard. I get that, that it's going to be way more difficult than I can imagine. But the Bible says that Ruth clung to her. I don't know what that looks like, but I can only imagine. As, as, as Orpah's walking away, and Naomi's telling Ruth, go follow her, or, or Ruth is maybe on the bottom of her leg, crying, oh, I'm not going to go anywhere. Or maybe she just screams as loud as she can until, until Naomi finally says, okay, you can go with me. I don't know how it looks, but I know she established to Naomi, listen, where you go, I'm going. Where you die, I die. Your people, they're not going to become my people. Your spots you used to eat, I'm going to eat at those spots. Wherever you go, I'm going to go there. She had a faithful situation where she stayed and she kept going. And here's the problem with so many of us. So many of us live fickle, emotionally driven lives. We do. It's just the way that we are. We either serve God when stuff gets bad, and so we serve him for a while, and then stuff gets good, and then we stop serving him. Or we serve stuff, and it gets good for a little bit, and then we stop serving him because it's, it's like either way. Like some people, it's, some people are drawn to the either way. Like you come, you're like, dude, 2019 was awful. What's my idea? I'm going to go back to church. I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm, and oh, it got better. Never mind. You see, we, we oftentimes in our lives, what's the first thing to go when stuff gets good or stuff gets bad or whatever? What's the first thing that we stop being faithful in? Church, right? God. The very first thing. Like it's like, eh. Like, I don't, I, I, life got good, I don't need church more. Life bad, you know, maybe I shouldn't go to church anymore. E either way, like, we are emotionally driven people. And so I try to remind myself over and over and over again that we live by faith and not by sight. We, we live by faith, and I'm not an emotionally driven person because of what I'm seeing. I'm going to fix my faithfulness. The Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. In other words, I'm always going God's future over my current feelings. I'm going to stay faithful even when I don't have to. And listen, listen, Ruth didn't have to. I mean, the, my favorite part of the story is when she gets back to, to the homeland and Naomi starts to flip out, right? How much do you have to love your mother-in-law to put up with this, by the way? She starts to flip out. In fact, she gets so bad that she's like, people say, hey, is that you, Naomi? And she says, that's not my name anymore. She's, she is tripping. My name is Mara, something like that. It means cursed by God. I mean, she is having a fit. And then she says, because I left with a lot and I came back with nothing. And by the way, guess who is standing there with her? Ruth. What do you mean you came back with nothing? I have given up my entire life to be with you, my mother-in-law. And you're telling everybody I'm nothing? I mean, how much you got to love God and love your mother-in-law in that moment? Because I'd have been, in that situation for me, I'd have been like, I'm gone. Because here's the thing about faithfulness. I'm not asking you if it's fair. 
I'm not asking you if it's easy. I'm not asking you if God made everything work out for you in 2019. I'm not asking. I'm asking you if you're faithful. See, a lot of you haven't been here for a long time, but we started our church in 2005 uh, and really became a church in 2008. But the 2005 and 2008 is what I like to call the years of hell. And uh, when we started our church, we started as a, uh, as a desire for my mom and dad's church to reach young adults. So 18 to 30-year-olds was our target audience. And I was 25 years old. And the reason my dad started it is he went to a uh, church, a local church, and they had this thriving young adult ministry called The Bridge. Uh, it was a thousand kids were there, young adults. It was just this amazing ministry this church had started locally. He went there, and he was like, we need to, we need to reach these kids in our church. And so would you come home from Oklahoma? Would you start this church? And, and, and I did. I brought my wife from Oklahoma. A whole other story. And so uh, trying to get your, somebody from the, the, the south to get, a, to get comfortable in the north is like you trying to make me like the cowboys. Like it's just, it's just it'll, be, it'll be almost impossible, right? Just very different worlds. And so I brought my wife back, and we started this church. And at the exact same time we started this, there was another a bigger church in my mom and dad's area that also went to this ministry and decided they were going to start a young adult church too. And uh, I remember I came back, and churches won't tell you they're in competition. Uh, and we're not in competition because we all have a bunch of people we can reach. But I still remember the feeling of we're both starting a churches for young adults and, and we're only a few minutes away from each other. In fact, I was so immature and, and, and feeble in, my, in the way that I thought and needed God to do some work in me. And that's why nothing went well for the first three years. Because before God can do something through you, he often has to do something in you. He has to break you. He has to get rid of your pride and your ego and your arrogance. And I had a whole lot of that, and I still struggle with that. So you had to get rid of all that. But I remember in that moment, as I was prideful, thinking, well, this, is, this is a competition. We have young adults. We're in Boyertown. How many young adults are in Boyertown? Right? And so we're starting these young adult things. And I remember even I went to a, a, a printing place to mail something. And the printing place just happened to be making invite cards for this young adult ministry happening at this specific church. And I remember I was envious of them because not only were they printing them in color, but they were laminated. And I had printed out some stuff on my parents' color printer and cut them with a thing, but they weren't laminated. And I remember I went back to, my, to, my, to the church and I was like, I threw them all away. And I was like, if they're going to laminate them, I'm going to laminate them on cardstock. So I remember the first design, it was candles and all this garbage. And we put these candles on our stage. And we had these, we had these hip, all the lights were off. And we had this young adult thing with the chairs in the round and like just, just really dorky, right? Like, and, just, and, and all this stuff. And, and, and after 15 years, this, this is where God has brought us, right? Like God has done incredible things. He did a lot of things in us. He kept us here. He gave us a free building after three years. He established a lot of things through our church. Like He has done incredible things in our church. But that first three years, we both started at the same, at the same time. Uh, but that church, that, that, that ministry, that doesn't exist anymore. It only lasted about two and a half years. And, and here's why. Somebody said, well, what happened? Were you a better preacher? Did you have better cards? Did you make cooler invites? Did you have more money? No. The difference is we just stayed. We just stayed. Like, it, we wanted to go. I wanted, we, we wanted, I, I wanted to go back to Oklahoma. I, it was cheaper. Taxes were less. Food is better. People are nicer. My wife was happier. We had no kids. We could do whatever we wanted. We could be called to Hawaii if we wanted to be. And so why does Journey Church exist? Why has God done all this? Why has he given us two buildings and opened up doors for us to be in the theater and given us all these opportunities to our campuses? I'm going to tell you, we just stuck, stayed around long enough to watch him do what only he could do. That's it. 
There's no talent. There's no difference of, of ability. It's not worship. It's not cool factor. It's simply just a willingness to stay faithful. I'm going to tell you, if you want to be where you're supposed to be when God's going to bless you, just stay doing what you're called to do. Stay faithful. Fix your faithfulness. Real quick, two more as we kind of wrap this message up. Two, you're going to predetermine. Laurel, you can come play, so I, I hurry up. Predetermine to stay determined. Pre, you're going to predetermine to stay determined. You're going, you're going to do whatever you need to do. Not only are you going to be faithful, but you're going to get rid of every obstacle that you can get rid of, an opportunity for you to get rid of to quit, because if you don't, you will quit. It's kind of like when you get a prenup. You are essentially saying, if you are going to get married with a prenup, I'm going to get divorced, right? I don't trust them. Like, I can't, if I ever sat with somebody and they were like, hey, could you marry us? We're going to get a prenup. Here's what I would tell them. You know, it costs 300 bucks for me to marry you. Um, uh, but it costs $1,000 for you to get divorced. Let's just do that. I'll take more money. Because you're going to get divorced. Like, you, you, you are absolutely, like, you're going to get tired of this person. I know, I know the video is going to say otherwise, your marriage video. I know your engagement on Instagram says you're in love, heart, hands, all that crap. But you are absolutely, welcome to marriage class, by the way, unquestionably, at some point in your life, going to roll over and look at them and go, you are gross. Am I right, married people? And you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go walk by, by faith and not by sight in that moment. Your breast smells awful. Your hair, where'd it go, right? It's just, it's just marriage. So there's got to be something deeper there. There's got to be a deeper commitment. There's got to be uh, a deeper commitment to love that person and care for that person and love them like Jesus does. And so a lot of times people get a prenup with their walk with Christ. They're like, I'm going to follow you until it gets tough. And I'm going to do this as long as everything works out. That's why Jesus, he, he, he's, he's really good. And so here's how we do at church a lot of times. We we'll say, hey, if you want to get saved, put your hand up. And I think a very real thing happens in that moment. People respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if I could have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with everybody that, that does it, before that they prayed that, I would say, hey, get ready. Because as soon as you turn your life to Christ, hell is going to break loose around you. And why, 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 why? Because before you follow Christ, you're already going to hell. He doesn't have to do anything evil to you. He doesn't have to tempt you. You are not a threat to him. But as soon as you take a step away from his grip and you begin to run into the loving arms of Christ, he is going to throw every trick. He's going to intimidate you. He's going to tell you God doesn't love you. He is going to throw the kitchen sink at you. We've gone through this before. Here's what he does. He gives you a relationship. He gives you an opportunity to move away from the church. Like here's all of the tricks that he does to get you to not become who you're called to be. Eventually you figure out he's full of crap and you stop listening to him. He only has a certain amount of excuses. But in the beginning, he's going to do everything that he can. And so Jesus tells his listeners, I love this in Luke chapter 14. He says, listen, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. In other words, say, listen, before you decide to follow me, make sure you got what it takes. Make sure you're willing to give everything. If you're not, don't follow me. Because there is only one way to do it. This is not the eeny, meeny, miny, mo, one foot out, one, you know, that, that thing. Whatever that song is. Put your right foot in, right foot out shake it all about some of you walk your life like that you're like yeah I love God I got and God's like just stop that just predetermine in your mind no matter what comes I'm here 
And that's what Ruth did. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm ready for how difficult it's going to be. I'm ready for how messy this is going to be. I don't even know how it's going to look. She didn't even ask God, God, well, how long till you're going to give me a husband? If I go to, to Jerusalem with my mother-in-law, are you going to give me a husband and kids? Is this all going to happen? She didn't ask anything. What'd she say? Where you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to position myself to be in the favor of the Lord by predetermining before I get in the situation to stay determined. I'm not giving myself a way out because if you give yourself a way out, eventually you will take the way out. You got to burn the plow. You got to get rid of your opportunity to quit. You got to go all in. You got to predetermine to stay determined. You got to fix your faithfulness. And number, number three, uh, this is my favorite one. You got to serve through your solitude. You got to serve through your solitude. I kind of talked a little bit about it in point one. Uh, but you know what I think is funny? So uh, people follow Christ, begin a relationship with him, begin to serve, begin to make, make the Lord the, the priority of their life. Stuff gets good, but then, you know, sometimes they go through things and they don't fully understand because they're a new Christian that it's through pressure that God develops you, develops perseverance, makes you mature. You need to have that. Like, you don't get strong without, for, without going through some of that. You want muscle. You don't go sit on the, on the, on the, 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 the elliptical and just, you know, let it, let it move by itself and get muscle, right? You don't watch the dude over at the bench press and you let him, let him, and you go, hey, man, that's great. Can I have some of your muscle, right? You got to do the work. So you're going through, through all this, his anguish, his pain. God is developing things inside of you. He's getting you ready for a good purpose and a good plan. He's getting you ready to take you to the next level. Before he gets you there, he has to take you through levels of discomfort, the valley of the shadow of death, so you can fear no evil, so you know he is always with you, that he will always protect you, that he is bigger than anything that comes your way. You need to face temptations and know that no temptation will come your way that can overtake you because Jesus defeated it all, and greater is he that is in you than he that lives in the world. You need to know all these things. And then you start to go. And one thing I've noticed is people begin to do these things in life. It begins to get difficult or whatever happens. And you know what, what is always funny to me? The very first thing that people do when life gets difficult, what do they do? They cut back where? At church. It's the weirdest thing. You get a call from somebody. They're like growing. You know they're growing. And they'll be like, yeah, I can't serve as much as I used to serve. You're like, why? You know, life is hard right now and it's busy and you know, I had an unexpected, my kids are not acting right, and it's not my fault, it's God's. It's not because I'm too busy at work, and I have too much crap, and too much debt, and my house is too big, and I'm buying things I don't need with money I don't have to impress people I don't know. It's not all that. It's my, it's my kids, but it's really their g- genetic DNA makeup, and it's their dad. <laughs> so I need to pay attention to them, or, you know, my work. People at my work, they work so many hours to get the promotion, and I've been giving time to God and not giving as much time to my work. Not that I haven't been working hard, but they they live and eat and breathe their career, and I've been giving God time, and on Sundays, I've been seeking His face and spending time with my family, and these younger people without families are moving ahead of me, and so I can't serve as much or come to church because i got to keep up with them. This this is what what people do. I just can't serve as much. Life, Life is bad. So I'm going to take away the one thing that could actually help me get through it. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on myself, right? And I love what Ruth does. Does she get there and Naomi starts flipping out and she starts crying out to God. God, look at her. She's losing her mind. She's renaming herself. She's telling people that if she has nothing as I'm standing there. The Bible says that Ruth picks herself up. 
and she heads out to the field. Why did she do that? Uh, because she didn't have a job. And so she would go to the field of a, uh, of a family member, somebody in the lineage of, of Naomi related to her. And they would allow them, because they were family, to kind of get behind the workers that were gathering the harvest and whatever they couldn't fit in their basket. She would gather the crumbs and put, put them in her basket until she would get enough to go home and make food for her and Naomi, her mother-in-law that was probably laying in bed crying about how her name was changed and complaining about Ruth. Meanwhile, Ruth doesn't have a husband. She's losing time. She's losing daylight, and she's there. And the Bible says she's there early in the morning, and it's not late in the afternoon. And Boaz shows up. Boaz shows up. And the Bible says that she looks at him and she says, how, how did I find favor with you? Like, how is this happening? You know what Boaz says? And Boaz is, is, has a deeper meaning. Boaz represents God to us in this story. It's not really about Ruth and Boaz. It's a deeper meaning. And this is what the Bible says. And I want you to be encouraged because so many times I think we think, why does that stuff matter? Why does my faithfulness to church matter? Why does my tithe matter? Why does me serving matter? Why does it matter when I get to work? on time? Why does it matter when I choose not to gossip? Why does it matter when I love my spouse the way that nobody else loves each other? Why does it matter when I do those things? No one's even watching. And sometimes I think we think, I've been doing it for so long, and everybody else is getting ahead of me. I'm doing the right thing, and I get it. I've been there at church. I remember from 2005, 2008, standing up in front of a room with about 100 seats in it. And there was days there'd be 13 or 14 or 15 people, and that was counting everybody and the pregnant women twice. You have twins in there? That's three. And I remember thinking to myself, God, you're not watching me set these chairs up every week? These stupid red plastic chairs? I used to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get four dozen donuts for our church. That's how many people we had there at that point. That was enough for everybody to have two donuts or three sometimes. And I'd pick up donuts every week. I mean, our, our offering was about $100, and that's it. The one person that tied actually showed up that Sunday. And I would use about seven or 17 or $20 of that to get donuts. And I remember thinking to myself, God, why am I doing this? And I would stick them on the pool tables that were in the middle of the room that we rented from my mom and dad. We didn't have a cool room like this. We had a couple chairs, some pleather couches, and pool tables right in the middle of where I wanted to put my stuff. And so I used it as a makeshift donut table. And I used to greet people when they walked in, just like I do today. So we say, why do you do that? I don't know. I've been doing this since 2005. But in 2005, I was the only greeter. And then I would run up and I would slide the slides up for the music and then I would slide them down and I would run sound and I never sang. God didn't put people through that. <laughs> and I remember I thought to myself, God, what are you doing? And I look back now and here's the principle of life. Fix your faithfulness. Predetermine that you ain't quitting. You're always going to have a way out. Don't quit. And in the, the middle of it, just keep serving. Just keep serving. Just keep showing up. Just keep serving your boss. Just keep serving your spouse. I mean, like my spouse isn't changing. Just keep serving them. Stop complaining about them. God heard you. What you curse gets worse. What you praise prospers. Praise them. For what? For being married to you. Like just for waking up and being with you and, 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 and being in, in relationship and, and doing like just praise something. And the Bible says that Boaz comes by and Ruth asks her. I love this part. Ruth chapter 2, verse number 11. This is really important. This is God speaking to us. How did you see me here? 
How did I get your favor? How is this all going down? And what does Boaz say? He says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Where, where do you go when you serve? Under the wings of God's refuge. You place your life in his hands. What is the principle? He says the entire time you've been doing these things and you haven't uploaded it on Facebook and you haven't started a blog about how generous you are and a GoFundMe for your mother-in-law to get a name change. The entire time you've been working and no one's been watching you. All that's been getting back to me. I've seen it all. And that's what God tells you. He is watching everything. Some of you that's terrifying because the Bible says to not grow weary and, and, and sowing because at the right time you'll reap a harvest. You always reap what you sow. You always reap more than you sow. That's a principle. Don't grow weary in doing good for at the right time you'll reap a harvest. Maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe you're still becoming the right person. I'll end with this story as we, as we close. And sorry, it's been a little longer, but there's no important football game on today, so I feel at liberty. Just a real quick story, though, as we, we close, uh, that, that I've, I've went back to many times in my life as I've walked with this principle, because I'm, I always struggle with this, even as a 40-year-old. Sometimes I'm like, God, move faster. Do more. God, how can I get you to do what I need you to do today? And I just go back. Just stay faithful. Just keep going. Just keep serving. He's watching. So years ago, when I only had one son, he was a year and a half years old, we went to Myrtle Beach, and they had this place called Broadway at the beach. And uh, they have this fountain, you know, the kind of fountains that they just start going and they just shoot up and you can like walk through them. You know what I'm talking about? And so it's hot in Myrtle Beach, summertime. I think it was June and, you know, it's very hot, so hot that I got saved down there, right? I started thinking about hell. I was like, I need to rededicate my life. <laughs> and so it was that hot and I had a one, in, one, one and a half year old and it was hot and we were there during the day. And uh, he, he wanted to like get close to the fountain. He had washed it. It was interesting. And so I let him and then he started kind of getting closer and he kind of started running around it in a circle. And I did what every, when any, what every dad would do in that moment. I was like, I got to get my camera ready. Because he doesn't know what's about to hit him. He's going to flip out. And I'm going to have this amazing moment of my son getting soaked. He's going to get shot in the face. He's going to get shot in the backside. He's going to come bust his ears. It's going to be hilarious, right? It's going to be like that, that scene from Daddy's Home 2 when he gets in the shower. And the shower shoots him everywhere. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I haven't seen Daddy's Home 2. There's always next Christmas. And so... Like, so this would be that kind of moment. And so I got my, my phone ready. And actually, it was interesting because as it started happening, he started running around this fountain in a circle. And it was like a matrix moment. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he would run. And as he would take a step off one of the fountains, it would shoot up and just miss him. And he just kept, like, it was like 15 minutes of this. It was such a spectacle that people were stopping to watch. And they were all hoping for the same thing I was hoping for. For the love of God, soak him. I had to get this on camera. It got so bad that I was telling him as a one and a half year old, I was saying, hey, Carter, stop right there. Right there. And he'd be waiting for me, stay right there. And he just kept running around. I promise, it might have been only like three or four minutes, but it felt like an hour, right? It felt like a spectacle was happening. It wasn't happening. And eventually, he kept running around. And you know what happened eventually? Eventually, his luck ran out. He got popped in the face. He got popped in the back. The other ones came this way and got him. He got soaked away. He looked at me as if to say, what happened? And what happened is he positioned himself long enough in the fountain, and eventually the water got him. 
And here's what I got to tell you. Just keep running around the fountain. Might not have been your day yet. Everybody else might have got soaked. Might have had the door open to them already. You might have been confused because you've been running at the same pace and they haven't yet. You haven't yet seen the promises of God. The doors haven't been flown open. The promotion hasn't come your way. The next step hasn't been revealed to you and you're getting impatient. We're going to talk about patience next week. If you have a problem with patience, don't miss it. But you got to wait till next week. That's patience, right? Eventually, eventually you're going to get soaked. Faithfulness, determination, continue to serve. I don't care how bad it is. I get it. You have the grounds to quit. I get it. I get it. You have the grounds to let go, to go somewhere else, to try something else. Just because you have the grounds doesn't mean you need to take it. Be the faithful person. Be a Ruth, not an Orpah. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we wrap up today's message and our time together? And I know I spoke to you when I started at all of our campuses, and I said, listen, every person is here uh, on purpose. You don't even know it, maybe, but God has brought you to this moment to do something incredible with your life. So maybe you already have a relationship with God, and you've already began to realize his love and his, and his son, what he did for you, and you've You've said yes to him, and you're kind of working through this, and you're just a very new Christian, and this is all new to you, and you, this is very uh, eye-opening to you. And this is something you're going to store away, because I can promise you, you are on a journey right now. You are, you are moving in the direction God has called you to move, but you will face things. You will go through things. You will have difficult moments. You will have moments where God stretches your faith. You will have moments where God develops things in you so that he can accomplish something through you. Those days are coming. So maybe this is just the moment where you lock it through. Maybe, maybe, maybe for somebody, this talked you off of the ledge. Spiritually, you are ready to throw, it, throw, throw in the towel. You're ready to quit. You're ready to stop being determined. You're ready to stop serving. You are even about to make the call or send the email at your campus to your campus pastor or director to say, hey, I can't serve anymore because I've been so busy and I have so much going on and it's been so overwhelming. And maybe God wants you to continue to serve so that he can stretch your capacity because what he wants to do through your life, you are not currently capable of handling. And if he were to give it to you right now, you would ruin it. So maybe instead you allow him to make that spiritual plate a little bigger. Maybe you're almost going to throw in the towel on a relationship, a career, a major at school. Maybe, maybe you've come against something that feels like it's overwhelming you and it's going to keep you from God's plan. Listen, nobody can stop God's plan for your life. Nobody. The Bible says, if God be for it, who can be against it? And that God's here right now. He's the God of the harvest. He's the God of the breakthrough. He's the God of power. He's the God that uses people like you and me. He's the God that loved you long before you loved him. You began to grasp, like the Bible says, how deep it is, how high it is, how wide it is. And you develop the trust in Him. And you're beginning to understand His voice. And you're just hearing, keep going, child. Keep, keep, keep moving. Just keep staying faithful. Just continue to, to embrace what you're going through right now. Continue to serve. Maybe you're here right now, and as I, as I preached, you can't even explain it. And I got to tell you, it's not because of me. It's not because of the band. It's not because of the church building that you're in. Uh, but the Bible says we're two or more gathered in, in the name of Jesus that he shows up. And God, God is here. He's been here since the moment that we began to sing in this service. 
He was here before that. He was here at 745 when all of our teams went through a run-through and we began to pray. And we pray. We don't know you, but we pray for you. Because we know God knows you. And we know that God brings people here week in and week out that desperately need hope and love and forgiveness and grace. And we are honored that God chose this Sunday to bring you here. So look, I don't know you. I couldn't possibly know what you've been going through. I can't possibly know the situation that you're dealing with. I, I don't, but God does. He ordains moments like this. The Bible says he gets people into his presence and he begins to speak to them. He uses a reference like this. He says he knocks at the door of people's hearts. And you have an opportunity to let him in. See, I believe that you and me, that we can have a real relationship with God, a life-changing relationship. And so he gives us his love that is unconditional. It doesn't matter what you care or think about. It doesn't matter if you receive it. He still loves you, that he gives you his love freely. But a relationship with him that cost him his son, you have to receive. God is love, you're right. But, but, but we are not connected back to that God unless we have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And he's here. And the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, on the name of Jesus, shall be saved. Their sins shall be, shall be forgiven. Their eternity is secure. Their life has purpose and meaning. And I would be remiss. It would be a mistake if I ever, if I ever spoke a message and didn't step back in the midst of that message, whatever that topic was, and give people an invitation to receive the love of God through the gift of Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of their life. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough. You're not educated enough. You know it. You can't do this on your own. You wake up on Mondays and you feel empty. You are as successful as you could possibly be, yet you still haven't arrived anywhere. And that's because you need to meet Jesus. It's not a destination. It's a relationship. It changes you forever. And he's here. And the Bible says he's drawing people to himself. And he's doing that right now. I, I remember it was like a burning in my chest. I can't even explain it. I just know the Lord was speaking to me. I grew up in church my entire life. And I watched my family and my friends go through different rituals. And hear, I knew different stories. But I had an experience and an encounter with Jesus Christ when I was 18. And he changed me. And he has been with me. I'm not perfect. I'm saved. I'm a child of God adopted into his family. He chose me. And he's here right now, and he's choosing you, friend. He's choosing you, friend. You just need to receive it. And so what we do at our church is um, I'm not going to make you come forward or call you out. Nobody else is looking around. They got their own stuff to deal with. Uh, but I want to lead you in a prayer, simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of who I am. I believe in you. I believe I need a relationship with you. Would you come into my life? Would you be everything to me? And it, just those words, when you, when you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll be saved. Not a long religious prayer, just simply a turning away from who you are and a turning to him. And so there's somebody standing in the front of every campus. I believe there's people here in every one of our campuses that needs to say yes to God. He loves you. He has a plan and purpose for your life, but you need to receive the gift of Jesus right now. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm not going to make you come forward, but when I ask you in a second, I'm just going to say, hey, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You know the Lord's speaking to you. You've been here for many months or you've been here for this is your first Sunday. But you need to respond. When I ask, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up in there. I don't want you to think about what's going to happen next. You're simply giving your life to Christ. And as you do that, we're going to pray together all over our campuses. And we're going to believe in the moment, in this, this moment of prayer, that the Bible says more can happen in a moment with God than a thousands elsewhere. He's going to break something in your life. He's going to change something in your heart. He's going to heal something in you. He's going to help you let go of something, hatred. You're going to feel the peace that surpasses all understanding. But you need to respond. You need to take that gift today. And we do that with one single moment where we lift our hand towards heaven. If that's you at all of our campuses, Montgomeryville, Limerick, Royersford, Plymouth Meeting, watching online right now, right here in Phoenixville, you say, hey, Pastor Steve, I know that the Lord is speaking to me, and today I need to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. I want him to be the Lord of my life. January 12th, 2020 is a new day for me. Today I need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing a work inside of me. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand straight up towards heaven and say, hey, pastor, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see one hand right here. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to sit here for a second. Another hand right here. Yes. Is anybody else? And say, hey, pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need to get my life right with Christ. Is somebody in Royersford? Yeah, we're going to clap. Some of you wonder why we clap. Maybe you've never been in church before, but we want to do, we want to do a service to, to heaven. And the Bible says that when one person responds to the gospel of Jesus, that all of heaven stops to rejoice. It's the only time in scripture that we read about that. We don't know a lot about heaven, but right now we know what they're doing. They are celebrating because somebody, hey, let's, let's clap for somebody in Plymouth meeting as well. Yes, yes. Church, would you pray with me all over our house? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. Although we're grateful for your word because the Bible says it never returns void. Lord, we simply proclaim your name. We open up your book, your truth. And the Bible says you draw men and women to yourself. And so, Lord, you've spoken, and now you're changing people forever. Lord, there's people that are receiving your son as their Lord and, and their Savior. What does that mean? You're saving them from their sins, their past, their present, and future sins. You're rescuing them, and you're setting them free. And not only are, they, are they you becoming their Savior, but, Lord, there's a next step where they say, you know what, because I know how much you love me, Lord, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to stop trying to be my own boss, and I'm going to seek to follow you in everything that I do. Lord, you're going to become my Lord, not only my Savior. And Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that you are a trustworthy leader. Lord, because we know how much you love us, Lord, we can trust you with our life, with our future, with our family, with our hurt, with our issues, with our addictions, with our, with our secret sin that we have. Lord, we can trust you with it. And Lord, as we begin to trust you, the natural step is we begin to obey you. Lord, as we begin to, begin to obey you, we step into the promises of Scripture. And the Bible says of your promises that all of your promises are yes and amen. And all of your promises are true. That you are true to your word. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, as we rejoice with heaven, Lord, there's many people in this room, Lord, that they wanted to quit. They wanted to give up. Lord, they were about to hang, hang it up. Lord, they were about to look somewhere else. But Lord, you have re reinvigorated that faithfulness in their spirit. Lord, they're just going to keep going. Lord, they're not going to quit. They're not going to bail out. They're going to get themselves in position no matter how long it takes to see you do a wonderful work in and through their life. And Lord, we're thankful. Father, you're a powerful God. You're a powerful God. Lord, you can accomplish infinitely more, immeasurably more in our lives than we could ever do on our own. And so we're grateful that we're going to see that. 
Lord, we believe in this month, in this decade even, Lord, that we're going to see healings, physical, emotionally. We're going to see relationships restored. We're going to see marriages be made whole. Lord, there's going to be somebody that's struggling with an addiction uh, that hasn't been able to break it. They've been to so many groups, and they've tried so hard on their own effort, Lord. But, Lord, it's not going to be their own effort. It's going to be by the power of you, Lord, that they're going to overcome an addiction, that something's going to break in their life, and they're never going to struggle with that again. And, Lord, we're grateful, Father, for all that you're going to do. Lord, we leave this place today. We fix our eyes on you, Lord, ready to go into this world and be the light that you've called us to be. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Hey, Journey Church, one more time. Would you shout amen with me? Come on, let's clap together.